If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day, um, fellas in the house here. Uh, we've been in a series looking through the book of Ephesians, and we have called this series Practicing Resurrection. We have focused on three particular words through the book of Ephesians, sit, walk, and stand. We are called to sit with Christ. We are made to sit with Christ in heavenly places. We are called to walk in the way of Christ, and we are called to stand in his power against the evil forces of our day. And so we've had a great time, the first two services. For whatever reason, I'm most energized to preach the third service. It wouldn't make sense to do that, but somehow... um, Yeah, let's have some church today. And so um, Ephesians 6, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes as we look to God and his word. We're going to be focusing on parts of the armor of God today. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, that is indeed uh, something we can confess today, that we can sing of your love forever. Lord, thank you for the gift of music. And Lord, we also thank you for the gift of your word. And so, Lord, as we think about powers and principalities and what it means to stand, would you give us the grace we need to stand? Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Growing up in the neighborhood I did in Brooklyn, I grew up in East New York, uh, I have many wonderful, wonderful memories. Specifically, some of my great memories and moments are when I played basketball, and football and baseball in the street. But for all of the great memories and moments that I had growing up in that part of New York, uh, I knew that at any moment we could be in danger. At any moment we could be caught in a crossfire. In the 80s and 90s, you never knew what was going to happen, and you can get caught in a crossfire very easily. Growing up at 8 and 9 and 10 years old, um, I have images etched in my mind of people shot before me, of people running away from gunfire. And I knew growing up that I was caught always in some kind of crossfire. Fourth of July weekends were very challenging and very confusing because you didn't know what was the fireworks and you didn't know what was the gunshots. Actually, when I uh, married Rosie, I moved her from Long Island to the nice part of Brooklyn, I moved her to East New York. And, uh, and I remember the first week or so after the honeymoon, uh, it's, uh, it's February and it's nighttime and we hear some popping in the street. And she goes, are, are those fireworks? And I go, baby, get away from the window. You're from Long Island, get away from the window. <laughs> This is our reality. And as we look at Ephesians 6, the image that comes to mind is one of crossfire. Whether we know it or not, we are consistently caught in a crossfire. And the reality is we often don't see it. And so Paul mentions there's a, there's a power dynamic going on. There's a battle going on. There's powers in the world that are causing havoc. And we are called to live faithfully and wisely and with power in the midst of the battle of the powers. And so I mentioned last week that the fallen powers of the world have two goals in mind, and I explain it this way. The fallen powers of our world exist to cut us off from Jesus and each other, that is isolation, or form us in such a way that we revert to cutting others, that is violence. And so whether we are cut off from each other or whether we cut each other, the evil one and evil powers have two goals in mind, to get us to be cut off from Jesus and each other and to, be, and to cut 
each other. And the only way we can stand against these powers is by wearing a particular armor. And Paul gets into it, letting us know what this armor looks like. And so I want to review where we've been in this passage. And then I'm going to talk about the various pieces of armor that Paul tells us we are to wear as we battle against the powers and principalities in our world. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, as a result of this, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. You see a theme. Stand, stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Paul says that we must be mindful that there are schemes of the evil one, that the evil one has tactics, strategies to cut you off from Jesus, cut us off from each other, or have us revert to cutting others. And so Paul mentions that God has given us an armor to help us do this. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen, and so he's writing to a church, uh, and he's writing from jail. And so perhaps Paul sees a Roman guard in front of him. And so as he's thinking about the powers and principles and as Paul is writing an epistle to the church, he has a metaphor right in front of him to let the church know what it means to stand for God. Beyond Paul seeing, however, the Roman soldiers, when Paul writes about the armor, you could be sure that he has Isaiah 59 in mind, not just a Roman soldier in front of him's prison, but he thinks about God the warrior as well, where it says in Isaiah 59 that he, that is God, put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul is saying this, the armor I want you to wear is actually what God wears. God has an armor and God has given you, it's the armor of God. It's what God wears. And there's six parts to this armor, and the purpose of it is to essentially stand firm, not to attack, but to stand firm, not to perpetuate violence, but to stand firm, not to be like the world, but to stand firm. Now, typically when we hear about standing, as in where do you stand, we often hear about that question in a context of politics or a context of doctrine. We like to ask people, where do you stand on this? And we say that whether to know or not whether we can have relationship with you. Where do you stand on that? Where do you believe about God? What do you believe about this? And so we want to know where people stand so we can decide whether to like them or not. 
But when Paul talks about standing, he's not talking about voting. When Paul talks about standing, he's talking about the life and character of Jesus so penetrating your life that you're able to stand in the force of powers and principalities. And so this is why the armor is given. Paul is saying you are against much more than you can handle on your own. And many of us know that. You are against much more in your personal life and in society that is much more than you can handle on your own. Therefore, God has an armor for you to wear. And the armor is essentially a reflection of the character of Jesus. Various facets of the character and the work of Jesus. And so today I want to focus on three aspects of the armor. And then next week I'll focus on another three aspects of the armor. But Paul says, first of all, that if we're going to stand against the evil powers of the world, we're going to need the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, when Paul says that God has given us this armor, he starts off with this. And from our perspective, it doesn't seem to make any sense. Because if you're going off to a battle, if you're going out to war, if you're about to enter into a fight, the last thing you probably think of is getting a belt. You don't say, I got to fight. Where's my belt? I got to, I got to, uh, not unless you're a Puerto Rican mother you, uh, who, who uses like as nunchucks. Uh, uh, you don't go to war saying, where's my belt? But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is upside down. And so Paul says, if you're, if you're about to go to a fight, the first thing you need is a good belt. And it's not, and when Paul says the good belt, he's talking specifically related to truth. And so the belt played a significant role in a soldier's armor and a soldier's, uh, you know, what the soldier wear. It was the belt that held the, the, the arst of the armor together. It was the belt that held the scabbard, the place where you would put your sword in. There were leather strips that were that allowed to protect the body in, in case of a blow. But beyond that, Paul is saying the belt is searched because it is ultimately the belt that holds the whole armor together. And truth is to cleave to our bodies because it is truth that holds us together. And it is falsehood that tears us apart. And so Paul says you have to wear the belt of truth if the rest of the armor is going to work. And when Paul talks about truth, there's multifaceted, multi-layers of what he is thinking. Let me try to unpack a little bit of it. When Paul thinks about truth, surely he's thinking about theology and right thinking about God. Uh, one of the reasons why we have a school of theology and formation we started is because we want to love God with our minds, not just with our heart and our soul and our strength, but with our minds, absorbing the truth of the word of God, absorbing the truth of scripture. And much of our problems in our world come and stem because of bad theology. And bad thinking about God often leads us further away from truth, not to the truth. And so in one sense, perhaps Paul has in mind theology and doctrine, but that's not the entirety of it. When Paul brings up truth, he brings up truth because the evil one operates fundamentally out of lies. And so the evil one comes against you consistently, day in and day out, creating an environment, creating pressure in your life that you would put forth falsehood that you would lie. This is the powers and principalities coming against us as it were trying to compel us to put forth falsehood, 
to put forth a lie. This is why Jesus, when he speaks about the evil one, he says it this way in John 8. And this is Jesus talking to the religious leaders. He says, you belong, speaking of the priests and leaders, uh, to the fa- your father, the devil. Good Father's Day message here. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, speaking of the devil, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whenever you see lies and deceit, the evil one is near. In your own personal life, wherever there is deceit and lies, the evil one is near. In institutions, whenever there is deceit and lies, the evil one is near. And the evil powers are oriented around lies. And every time we lie, we reveal a disordered heart and a disordered life. Let me explain it to you this way. When I got my first job, it was about 18 years old, and I was late consistently for the first four or five times. Had no dis. Now I didn't wake up in the morning saying, "You know what? I'm just going to be late for work today." I mean, this I just said, I'm just going to do it. No, no, I had a disordered life. I'd go to bed at 2 a.m., like 3 a.m., trying to get up early. But every time I would wake up late and run on the train, I would have a new lie to let my boss know what happened. Oh, the train! Somebody threw up on the train again. You know, and just I'm not making up something fresh every single time. By the fourth or five time, fifth time, the guy said, "You're on probation." And what it revealed was this: wherever there's disorder in your life, there's going to be lying. Wherever there's disorder in our hearts, lying is going to come right there. And whenever there is deceit, the evil one is near. And so uh, the evil one is oriented around a disordered heart, disordered lives, disordered society. And time and time again, we see that not only in our personal lives, but in society, that the evil one wants to perpetuate falsehood and lies about who we are, about our value. The power speak falsely about our value. For my black brothers and sisters, in light of the Philando Castile verdict, it's easy to live as if you don't have any value, as if your life doesn't matter. That institutions perpetuate falsehoods and lies, but that's a lie from the evil one. And so we are called to wear the belt of truth. And fundamentally, what does it mean to wear the belt of truth? Ah, Let me say it this way. If I can narrow it down to where the belt of truth means that we are choosing to live in reality. Choosing to live in reality. Truth, in essence, is that which corresponds to reality. And we live in a world where it's hard to know what's true and what's not. We live in a world where reality TV is scripted and staged. And yet we're called to live in reality. And this is on personal levels and societal levels. Often, personally, we we put forth something false about who we are. And this does not come without any consequences, putting forth falsehood about who we are. There was a report that was done uh, on some research last month that came out that concluded that Instagram is the most detrimental social networking app for young people's mental health, followed closely by Snapchat. Now, let me just say this here. Uh, I'm not coming against Instagram and, and Snapchat. If you want to follow me, you can just follow me at Rich Velotas. Like I'm on Instagram, I think. So um, uh, lots of just wonderful material. 
and uh, family photos and just, um, and, and so, uh, I, I mean, just, let me just keep going here, okay. <laughs> there was a study talking about how detrimental Instagram and Snapchat is for the mental health of young people, and this is what this study concluded. This study called the Status of Mind surveyed almost 1,500 young people aged 14 to 24 on how certain social media platforms impact health and well-being issues such as anxiety, depression, self-identity, and body image. Because platforms like Instagram and Facebook present highly curated versions of the people we know and the world around us, it is easy for our perspective of reality to become distorted. Socializing from behind the screen can be uniquely isolating, obscuring mental health challenges even more than usual. Instagram draws young women to compare themselves against unrealistic, largely curated, filtered, and photoshopped versions of reality. We know this, don't we? Whenever you take a picture, how many do we delete before we say, ah, oh, that's the one, that's the one. Ah, oh, don't post that one, not that one, not that Oh, that's the one there. And after we find the best one of ourselves, we use the best filter, we manipulate it as good as we can, we hide the dirty house. I, I mean, we just, and here we are. And the world thinks you don't have a problem because they don't see the dirty house. They don't see the dishes. They just see you smiling with a nice filter. And what happens in our lives is that's just a little example of us often perpetuating something that's not real, something that's not the full picture. And so truth is not just saying things accurately. Truth is living in such a way that what you see is what you get. And show me someone who doesn't need to put forth something that they're not, and I'll show you someone who the evil one cannot overpower. And so the powers of the world are actively engaged in creating environments of deceit to tear us down. And it is only truth and integrity and a life that corresponds to that which is real that holds up. And so we are invited by God to put on a belt, to live with integrity, to live with honesty, to stand on who God is in God's word, to be honest about who we are. And whenever we are uh, the self-deceived, we perpetuate the powers. The powers feed off of deception. And so when we're honest with ourselves and honest with God and honest with our neighbors, we are pushing against the powers. We are invited when we wear the belt of truth to be honest about our pain, honest about our questions, honest about our mistakes, honest about our shame, honest about our depression, honest about our addiction, honest about how we really feel about something, putting on the belt of truth. I heard Pete say this this past week, that when you're not aware of what's going on on the inside of you, you're not in reality. And if you're not in reality, you're not in spirituality. And so to wear this belt means that we are called to push against the powers. And every time we refuse to live in reality, this is what life is right now. We feed the powers. The powers are fed off of secrets and fed off of lies and fed off of deceit. And the more deceit, the closer the evil one is. And so we are invited to put the belt of truth. And this doesn't mean that living the truth is easy. I like how Richard Rohr said it, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. <laughs> and, and don't we know this? 
And so every morning, would you join me this, every, every morning this week, before you jump on Snapchat, before you jump on Twitter, before you roll out of bed and post a status, would you, as it were, put on the belt of truth and say, Lord, would you help me to live according to your truth? Lord, would you help me to live with great integrity today? Lord, would you help me to live in reality? Lord, may I be honest about what's coming against me and what I'm feeling. May I put on the belt of truth. But we don't stop there. Paul says if we're going to come against the evil one, we must wear the full armor of God. In other words, a belt will only get you so far. And so he says we need also righteousness. We need a breastplate of righteousness. We don't just need a belt, we need a breastplate as well. And so the breastplate of the Roman soldier was generally made of iron. Some wealthier soldiers could have a bronze breastplate. And there was round uh, uh, pieces protecting the shoulders and the vital organs, the heart, the lungs of a soldier during battle. And this part of the armor is to help you as well stand against the evil powers. Let me explain why and how. When Paul talks about the breastplate, he connects it to righteousness. And Paul says it is righteousness that guards you against the evil one. And this is a critical, critical, critical point Paul is making. Now, the word righteousness is one of the most important New Testament words. There was no word as a seminary student that I studied more in Greek than the word righteousness. I wrote more papers on the word righteousness than any other thing when I was a student in seminary. And so righteousness is a critically important word. And so righteousness is not to be understood as right behavior. Right? It's very important that we note this. If the strength of our armor is based on our right behavior, our armor is not going to be really strong. If the strength of our armor is based on the behavior of our lives, it's not going to be strong. Why? Because we don't always live the right way. And so the breastplate of righteousness is not about how righteous you live. It's a righteousness that God declares over Now I'm, now I'm really going to preach now here. I just, 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 in my Pentecostal tradition, this is where we start praying and casting out devils and saying, like, I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. It, it probably was the battery, but we'll rebuke him anyway. And so um, there was no word that I study more. Now, the Greek word for righteousness is this word, dikaiosune, is the word dikaiosune. Let's, let's all practice Greek together. Let's, let's say this out loud. Dikaiosune. You guys are fantastic. This is the most, I, I didn't study any word more than this Greek word, dikaiosune. And if we can grasp the significance of this word, the evil one has no chance against you. And so again, it's not about your behavior, righteousness. It's what God bestows on you. Let me give a definition of it. The kaiosune is a status of righteousness that God confers on you, not based on anything you've done right. In addition, it's a status given to you in spite of all you've done wrong. If you get this, you'll be set free. 
It's a status of righteousness that God confers upon you, not based on anything you've done right. And it's a status given to you in spite of all you've done wrong. Now, the, 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 the word righteousness, when Paul is using it, is a legal term. It's a term that's borrowed from the courtroom. It's where we get the word justified from. And when we hear the word justified, we often hear justification in this kind of language. To be justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a helpful way, but I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. Because when Paul talks about justification, he, he's not talking about a God who doesn't see your sin. God sees all of your sin and still says you're right because of what Christ has done. God does not live in denial with us. God knows everything about who we are. And God, in spite of knowing everything about who we are, still confers upon us righteousness. God still sees my sins and says, because of Christ, I have been made righteous. Now, this is not, this is more than just a not guilty verdict. It's more than just not guilty. Yesterday, there was this Bill Cosby mistrial. Okay. And, uh, whenever there's famous kind of cases and whenever a verdict comes out, people go crazy about the verdict and what have you, uh, OJ and Bill Cosby and what have you. And so if the judge were to get up and say to Bill, uh, you know, and, 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 or OJ, let's just say hypothetically, they didn't do anything. Let's just hypothetically, okay, just a hypothetical, right? Hypo- hypothetically, they didn't do anything. And the judge says, you are not guilty. And then, you know, let's move on here. People go crazy and say, no, 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 he is guilty. But what if the judge took it a step further and said, not only is this person not guilty, I'm declaring this person righteous as well. Think about that for a moment. Not only is this person not guilty, this person is righteous. Now go out and tell all the people out there waiting to interview you, you're righteous. The world will go crazy. And yet, isn't this what God does with us? God knows all that we've done. He knows what we did last week. He knows what you did last summer. Okay, just, that's a reference from back, that was a reference. Yeah, yeah. Stay with me, people. Stay with me. He knows all about you. And not only does God say you're not guilty, God in Christ declares you righteous. Now, if, if, we, if we truly grasp this, this would change the way we pray. It'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we see ourselves. It'll change the way we see God. Because we are often unstable in our faith because we do not wear the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because often we base our relationship with God on the grounds of our righteousness. And if our relationship with God is based on the grounds of our righteousness, some days you have a good day and some days you have a bad day. And what begins to happen is we have a God loves me, God loves me not kind of spirituality where we pray one day and we feel good about our prayer and we go, oh, he loves me. And then we don't pray for a good five, six, seven days, two weeks. Come on, be honest, let's be honest. Three, three, three weeks. And then we come, oh, he loves me not. You read three uh, chapters in the Bible before you walk out of the building. Oh, he loves me. <laughs> you can't find your Bible. Ah, oh, he loves me not. You volunteer and serve the poor. Oh, he loves me. 
You've been fearful and a little greedy with your money. Ah, he loves me not. If our righteousness and relationship with God is determined based on our righteousness, no wonder we have an up and down spirituality. A good day and a bad day. But when your righteousness is based on God and what Christ has done, there is a stability to your life. Because he's the consistent one. He's the one who's always righteous. And so God declares over you that you have are righteous in Christ. It is God who makes you right. It is God who justifies you. It is God who gives you a status. And when you know what God has said about you, there's no lie of the evil one that can take you down. And so through faith in Christ, we have been made right. This is a a fact, not a feeling. And if you get this, it'll change the way you pray. The book of Hebrews says, come through the throne of grace boldly. How are you going to come boldly if you're basing your righteousness on yourself? The Hebrews writer knows if you come boldly, you're coming not based on your name. You're coming in his name. You're not coming based on your righteousness. You're coming in his righteousness. You're not coming in your works. You're coming in his work. And so how do I, I'm with Jesus. Like we said, it could be, I, I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm with Jesus. All I need to know. And, and this is why we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And so Paul says, if we're going to push back against the evil powers, we must wear this belt of truth. We must put on this breastplate of righteousness. And then the third thing I want to focus on is that Paul says, you must also wear the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation to stand against the evil one. Now, the, the rationale for this piece of the armor is simple. And it is this. You can't stand against the enemy if you are colluding with the enemy. Let me try this side of the room here. You you can't stand against the enemy if you are participating And haven't been rescued from the powers of the enemy. And so Paul says, the only way that you're going to go against the powers is to be saved from the powers. And the helmet reminds us that we have been rescued from the powers. That we are on, we're not playing on the same team anymore. That we're on the other side facing the enemy. And the only way to move from one team to the next is to put on the helmet of salvation. And so to be saved doesn't mean that I'm just going to heaven when I die. When I die, to be saved is to move from the powers of darkness into God's glorious light. And you can't stand against the evil one if you haven't been saved from the powers of the evil one. And so the question we need to honestly ask ourselves is, have I been saved? Have I been rescued? Have I moved from darkness to the marvelous light of God? Have, have I, do I have a helmet to wear? And the only way you can wear the helmet is by saying yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to he conf- he gives you a helmet and says, now we're playing on this team now. Unless we have a helmet, we're not playing on God's team. We are colluding with the evil one. And so the invitation is to, to say yes so that he could give you a helmet. And so every morning this week, it might be helpful to approach our week. Lord, I, I, let me put on the helmet of salvation, reminding me that I belong to you and not the evil one. Lord, I put on the belt of truth so I could identify myself with reality and not with falsehood. Lord, I put on the breastplate of righteousness 
basing my standing with you on what you have done and not what I have done. And so Paul says, you need to put on the full armor of God. And next week we'll get to the last three, but in closing, I want to give a, a perspective, an angle to take us home. Paul says that God has given us six different pieces of armor, and I want you to see something that some commentators have brought out. The pieces of armor that Paul talks about uh, only covers the front of the soldier. There's no part of the armor for the back of the soldier. Now, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but when I thought about it, two thoughts came to mind. Number one, Paul doesn't talk about having an armor for the back because the Christian is not supposed to run in fear from the evil one. The evil one is never to see our back. We are to stand, not in fear, not in anxiety. We are to stand in the power that God has given us. That's number one. It gets better. The second reason, perhaps, why Paul doesn't talk about armor in the back is because maybe Paul is saying there's no need for any armor in the back because he knows that God has got your back. Let me explain it this way, and then we'll go home. When I was in junior high school, the first week of the school year was known as freshman week. Some schools had freshman Friday. The neighborhood I came from, they had freshman week. And during that week, high school students from Other schools would come to the local middle school to beat up on 12 and 13 year old boys. High school, beard, demon possessed high schoolers would come, take the train to go to a middle school and wait outside to beat up on 12 and 13 year old boys. And I remember this like it was Yesterday, I heard stories about uh, grown-looking men who are in high school waiting outside to pummel on any little 12- and 13-year-old that came out of the school. And I remember all the students are talking about it. Everyone knows what's happening. I remember looking out the window and seeing these bearded, high-schooling, demonic-possessed, uh, I, I mean, I mean, stop right there, just waiting outside to beat them up. And I remember the first day I got, three o'clock came. And when the bell rang, I walked out, I saw them, and I had my cousins, and we ran as fast as we could the other way. Now, not all of my cousins survived. Some of them got beat up there. I was like, I gotta go. And so I just, I just ran. And some of them got, got beat up, kicked, and I ran. By God's grace, I mean, it was this close to me getting pummeled by some bearded, demonic-possessed high school students. So I ran as fast as I could to get home. When I got home, I told my father. Here we are on Father's Day. I told my father. And when my dad heard the news, he said, what? And he said, I'm going to wait for you after school the next day. And he said, not only am I, am I going to be there, your uncles are going to be there. And your older cousins are going to be there. And my crazy friends are going to be there too. And I remember the first day I ran as fast as I could. But because I knew who, was, who had my back, I walked out of school the second day a little different. The first day I ran, the second day 
I just bopped. I, I, I just, I just, I just, you know, I just, I just bopped. And knowing who's walking behind me. And when Paul talks about the armor, there's no need to have anything in the back. Why? Because God's got your back. The Father's waiting for you outside. And there's no need for you to run. You can just stand. You're not standing on your own strength. You're standing because God is with you. And the evil one, listen, you're going to go outside of this church and the evil one is going to be waiting for you to fill you with fear. The evil one will be waiting outside for you trying to paralyze you with anxiety. The evil one is waiting outside trying to make you feel powerless. But God is standing outside too waiting for you to come out. And so there's no need to run. And so put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the belt of truth. Why? Because if God be for you, who can be against you. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. He's with us. He is with us. I want to have the worship team come forward. God is with us. There's no need to fear. Some of you are paralyzed with anxiety. The evil one has been working overtime on you. Challenges in your body, challenges with your health, challenges at home. And the evil one has tried to convince you that God is not with you. But the father is standing there. God's got your back. Question is, where have you not been putting on the armor of God? For many of us, we forget to put on the belt of truth and we live out of falsehood, out of deceit, not being honest about where we are. And God says, put on the belt of truth. Some of you have been living an up and down Christianity, thinking that God loves you based on your love for God. God loves you based on who God is. God's perfect love. And some of you have never put on the helmet of salvation because you've never said yes to Jesus. And God has an arm, his, his armor for you. Perfectly suited for you. And so Lord Jesus, we confess on this Father's Day that we have often lived without putting on the full armor of God. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would lead us and guide us to live out of truth, to live out of righteousness, to live out of salvation, knowing that you are with us, that you surround us with power and grace, and we are called to push back against the powers of evil, to stand firm. And so, Lord, teach us what it means to stand in our lives today. We stand and we sing to you now. You are the solid rock on which we stand. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Amen. We're going to close our service. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. And the reality is in a given week, the powers 
come against us, don't they? The powers come against us in our homes, in our communities, in our nation, and yet we are called to put on the full armor of God, to, to stand firm in Jesus against the powers. The powers would love to suck you in into the powers' ways. And we are called to stand firm. And so our prayer team is here. We don't just stand alone. We stand with the body of Christ. We stand with each other. And we need each other. And this is why we close every gathering with prayer. We need each other to stand firm. And we have the Lord's table to my right. But the ground on which we stand is on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every time we take bread and we dip it in a cup, we are recommitting ourselves to stand firm the way of Jesus, knowing that his death and resurrection has secured for us love and salvation and righteousness and truth. And so we'll have um, Kelly here to offer that uh, to you. We have our prayer team to pray for you. I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. Maybe uh, you don't have an armor. Um, You've never lived with an armor. The only way you can live with an armor is by saying yes to Christ, saying yes to his grace and love, forgiving you of your sins. And maybe today you need to wear an armor. You've been fighting without one. And no wonder you have been subjected to the powers because you need an armor. And so our prayer team is here. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to follow him, or maybe you want to come back to Christ, Maybe you've been gone for a while and you know you have an armor, but you haven't worn it in a long time. And God wants to dust it off and put it on you today. So our prayer team is to my left, the Lord's table is to my right. With your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, knowing that God stands behind you. And may you push back the powers wherever they try to find you. And may you do it in the name of Jesus. So I bless you all today here in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.